Hey, um, want you to think about this. I'm um, asking you a question. What is your favorite smell? And what is your favorite smell? And while you're thinking about it, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I've seen people kind of uh, uh, doing different things, but I'm going to tell you about some of my favorite smells. Aren't you excited, Terry? And uh, <laughs> some of my favorite smells. And uh, so, and, but, but when I'm done, I want to hear about your favorite smells. And then what I want to do is I want to share with you what God's favorite smell is. Because the Apostle Paul saw that ministry sometimes was hard and discouraging when he was looking at the wrong things. But he figured out how to give God his favorite smell through serving him. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But for me, man, um, how many of y'all ever smelled an orange blossom before? You ever smelled an orange blossom? If you can believe it, Florida used to be covered, not with concrete, but with oranges, literally. The only place you can see that now is really in the middle of the state. But growing up, even in Orlando, um, if you've been to Orlando, you, you would not even find one commercial grove left anywhere. Hardly anybody's even got an orange tree in their backyard. But growing up in Orlando, there were oranges everywhere. And different oranges, I'm glad I have my orange expert here, my citrus expert, Carl, coming in. Different citrus uh, uh, species of citrus, they all come into bloom and they all grow at different times. So you've got this wide period of time where if you live in the groves, man, which if you lived in Orlando, it was just groves. You had a time period where you just smelled orange blossoms, man. And, um, and, and back then, we didn't have air conditioning in our houses. We built houses efficiently where the windows were open and they would actually literally circulate air through your house. And you didn't really need air conditioning. You know, you got too hot, you could get up against a cold plaster wall and, and then find another cold spot on the sheet. You just, you know, flipped around. But the fact is, I can remember going to bed at night. I can remember waking up and just smelling orange blossoms, man. And to this day, that's one of my favorite smells. If I ever get to smell an orange blossom, it's just one of my favorite smells because it brings back memories. But another favorite smell I have, um, <clears throat> I can still smell it. And it's when the wind comes out of the southwest at my house now, and it starts blowing the smell from Tropicana over to my house. How many of y'all like the smell when they're processing citrus? You like that smell of the, you smell the orange peels kind of, I guess they're burning them, right, Carl? They're kind of doing stuff, and everything just smells like citrus. And again, I love that smell because it brings back memories. Growing up, man, we either smell orange blossoms or we smell processing citrus because that's all they did in Central Florida at the time. And it just brings back great memories. Y'all have smells that bring back great memories? All right, you have smells that bring back bad memories. All right, anyways, we won't go there. We're talking about good smells and good memories today. So I love those smells, but I've gotten to smell a couple good smells, some of my favorite smells this week even. And um, remember, you're supposed to be thinking of your favorite smells. But uh, I think it was Wednesday night on the way home from band practice, Emily's rear end fell out. Well, I should qualify that. It fell out of her, her blazer, <laughs> her 03 blazer. Yes, it fell out of her car, her truck. And uh, it, it messed up. It was gone, grinding. So Terry, on, it was Thursday, right? We did it. He was gracious enough on his day off, and he was sick. He took me in his Jeep to uh, one of his scrapyard friends that he knows in Lake Wales, and guy was an awesome guy. We went out there into Lake Wales, and it's really beautiful out in that area, you know, Florida. And went to Scrapyard, got a rear end. Not gonna tell you we got the wrong one, but it all got rectified, like it does with rear ends. But anyway, so, um, so we got we got the, uh, got the rear end. We were coming back, and he had to get gas. So we stopped at a gas station. Dude, I love country gas stations, man. 
Oh, I love country gas stations. We walk in the country gas station, and all of us, I open the door, and I am overcome by the heavenly scent of gas station gizzards. Oh, my goodness. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Zane, I know you know, bro. Um, I am overcome with that heavenly scent. Gas station gizzards. How many of you ever had gas station gizzards? Now, what are you making that face for? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take you and show you what the value in a gas station gizzard. You just cannot make gizzards like they make them in the gas stations. It's awesome, isn't it, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If there's there's going to be gizzards in heaven, so y'all better just get used to it now. But <laughs> so, so I open the door, and the heavenly scent of gas station gizzards permeates my olfactory. Oh, oh, it's all in there. And I am just like salivating like Pavlov's dog walking to the back. And I see the case and I look in there and I see a line of people and I see a plate of gizzards, only about a quarter of a plate. And I'm thinking, okay, how many of these people are in line for gizzards? So I get in line immediately. And, and there is a cult following for gizzards. And there is an etiquette, rule of etiquette for getting gizzards. So I'm in there and I'm like, Hey, anybody else getting gizzards here? I'm trying to nonchalantly find out to figure out if there's going to be any left for me. So I should get my hopes up or not. And this old cracker farmer dude, man, he's right there. And he's like, yeah, I was here all day yesterday and they didn't have any. And so I come back again today and I'm getting me a large one. Now, under normal conditions, that would be selfish. But since he was there yesterday, if you know the international code for gas station gizzards, you know, the code of ethics for that, then you know he is rightly deserving as many gizzards as he wants. Because he was there yesterday, he left, and there was none. I'm now, he was in front of me, so there's nobody between us. So I'm like, okay, dude, I get whatever's left. That's the way it is. But then this big lady, she walks in, and, and, and she was from Atlanta, but she grew up here. She walks in, and I not, kid you not, she opens the door and says, oh, gizzards! And I'm like, oh, no! Because I'm a gentleman, I'm going to have to give the last six gizzards up, man. I'm just thinking. And, and she says gizzards. And plus, the lady had these big, giant cross earrings, so she's a Christian, too. I'm like, dude, God's like, would you give your last six gizzards up? I'm like, yes, sir. You know what I want? And it was like, and, and so she comes in, and she's like, oh, there's gizzards. And she was doing all the Medeas, I mean, just like Medea. She comes in right behind me, and, and she's like, oh, they got gizzards. I said, yes, ma'am, they do. And, but he's going to get a whole plate. He said, oh, he's first, right? See, she's from Georgia. They even know the International Code of Conduct of Ethics for Gus Station Gizzards. And so she's behind me there, and she's like, oh, there ain't going to be enough. You're getting them, too? I said, well, yes, ma'am, I was, but, you know, if you want them, you can have them, me being the gentleman that I am. Check. Oh, no, no, sir. I know the International Code of Conduct of <laughs> Ethics for Gus Station Gizzards, and I can't give. No, I'll, I'll do without. I'm all right. You were here first. And so I wasn't going to disappoint. I wasn't going to fight with her now, you know. So I'm like, okay, thank you, ma'am. And so I get up there, and there were six gizzards, man. By the time I left, they placed them right there in the bottom. They barely covered the bottom of the tray, of a small tray. But I was so grateful. And then when they put them in the bag, oh, and they started steaming. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, Zay? You know, like somebody who's hyperventilating, you just stick your head in that bag and go, and, and you're just smelling that heavenly smell of gas station gizzards. And then I had enough smell left in those six gizzards when I got into Terry's truck and we had all the windows rolled up, man, it permeated that truck. And I could tell by the look on his face mm, that he just didn't like him as much as me. <laughs> but, but it was one of my favorite smells in the entire world. And you know why I love gizzards so much? Because 
my mom and dad, they didn't have much money when we were growing up. And it took a while for me to figure out that basically every meal we had had chickens. Had to do with chickens. Every meal we had had something to do with chickens because chickens are cheap to raise. And my mom, we had four kids in the house. And if I was a good boy, then at the, at the end of the meal, I got a gizzard. <laughs> my sister would get a heart, my sister would get a liver, and my brother would get a neck. And, and that's it. And, and literally, my mom used that as a reward. And we actually obeyed. I obeyed for a gizzard. And, and so, man, and it was like I would do anything for that. If I, if I lost my reward, I would do anything at, from, from the time I realized I lost it to dinner to get that gizzard back again. And so this gizzard stuff has sentimental value. I love when I smell gizzards. Most of my favorite smells bring back great memories. And that's why they're favorite smells. And I love gizzards to this day. Bull of peanuts, same thing, man. All of those things, they're all just right there. But the smell brings back a memory. And that's what God's favorite smell does for him. But before we get into that, I want to hear what your favorite smell is. What's your favorite smell? Oh, you just want to you just want your mom to smell your armpit, and that was her favorite smell. That's why you raised your arm up. Who's got a favorite smell? Laura, where's Laura now? Your favorite smell was a gardenia. And why is it a gardenia? Yeah, you see, man, those smells bring back memories. Anybody else have, And even if it doesn't bring back a memory, yeah. How many of y'all your favorite smells mothballs? Because you remember grandma? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, well, lilacs was my first instinct for the same reason. Baby Taylor love, and I got in big trouble. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, but I do remember that. Yeah, it brings back memories, right? Yeah, very cool. And that's why we got cancer and all the other stuff. Yeah. That that now, but it's all good. We're going to heaven. With Who else has a favorite smell? Come on, what's your favorite smell, Sophie? What's that? Surf wax. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. You're exactly right. When you rub that surf wax on first thing in the morning, it's like Calgon. You don't have to think about anything else. Yeah. And it's not the same if you put it like on your sister or brother. You got it. It's on your surfboard first thing in the morning. You're like, ah. But it brings back great memories, right? There's been some good sessions in the morning, right? All right. Who else has a favorite smell? Yes, ma'am. I love the smell of skunks. Of skunks? Yeah, you know, I got Favorite smell. Favorite smell. Yeah, Robert? Coconut suntan lotion. Coconut suntan yeah. lotion. Coconut yeah. Topical? Yeah, back in the day when it had oil in it that yeah. fried your skin, yeah. not sunscreen. Y'all remember putting oil all over everybody? What do you guys say? My granddad had tobacco farm. When they were cured of tobacco, I used to love to walk into the barn and yeah. smell that. And just, yeah. I used to ride the uh, sleds on the back of the tractor. Yep. Uh-huh. 
But it brings you back to great memories. Don't tell my wife I told you this because she's down with the kids, but she used to enjoy riding on the manure spreader on the corn farm with her grandfather. And so that's one of her favorite smells. Maybe that's why she's not offended by me. I don't know. But <laughs> anyways, anybody else have a favorite smell? One more. Yes, Marilyn. Paper mills. Paper mills? Oh, we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, my grandma worked upstate. All right, yeah, because paper mills smell horrible, but if they've got the memory to them, man, that's awesome. All right, very good. But the point is, is that our favorite smells, man, have you ever just walked in someplace and it just brought back great memories? You know, it just brought it all back, but that's what uh, God's favorite smell does for him. And we have the opportunity at any point in time to offer to God his favorite smell. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at it before we get into... Um, uh, Acts chapter 13, where we have an example of it, I want to take you to what the Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians when he describes what God's favorite smell is, and then we'll look at Apostle Paul's example early in his ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Um, uh, to set this up in the first 13 verses of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is kind of discouraged. I mean, he's out there busting it for God. He's, uh, he's in Ephesus writing a letter to the Corinthians, and everything at the church in Ephesus wasn't going good. There was all kinds of problems at Ephesus, and he's writing now this letter to scold them on the Corinthians because the Corinthians, man, one thing after another, they were doing wrong and against Christ and, and got, the, got it all wrong. And so in this, he was really kind of discouraged. And as a, have you ever gotten discouraged working for the Lord? Have you ever gotten discouraged serving the Lord? You ever gotten down where it's like, man, nobody cares what the, you know, or, or it's just not going to work. You know I mean? You know you're going to heaven, but it just seems like sometimes that even you might not get it. And you get discouraged. And that's where the Apostle Paul was. And then he went from discouragement to encouragement and, and remembering what God's favorite smell was. So check this out in verse 14. <coughs> he says, now thanks be to God. Now check that out again. When you are grateful, everything is great. Everybody say that again. When you're grateful, everything is great. Yeah, so if somehow you can be grateful for something that's making you ungrateful, everything's great again. And so Paul knows that's the cure for it. And he says, now thanks be to God. So instead of being miserable and complaining, he starts finding a reason to be grateful for the very situation bringing him anxiety. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us. Look at that, what he's grateful in. How often does God lead us? According to that, yeah. Who, what? God who always leads us. So that's what the first thing he's grateful for is the fact that God is always leading him. So when he's discouraged, when he thinks nothing's working, when he thinks nobody's following, when he thinks no one hears him, no one sees him, even God following him, when he thinks he's all alone, and it, it is just really worth it following God, He's remembering that God is always leading me. And that means right now, in the midst of my depression, in the midst of my discouragement, in the midst of my low point in life, the valley, God is leading me. And this is good because God doesn't keep you in the valley. If there's no valleys, there's no, there's no mountains. You know, what if life, what if your Christian life was like this? Man, that would be kind of boring. When would be a good, it's like, I used to have this friend, Dave Hook, and Dave Hook, when he talks, he talks in bold. Anybody know people who talk in bold? You're like, oh, you do. <laughs> you know, Dave, Dave Hook, dude, we would write, he would like want me to make these posters for him. 
And he was like, oh, bold this. And I'd be like, all right, cool. And that was the title. And he'd like, oh, bold that. And then like, bold that, bold that. And, and guess what? Everything was bold. So if everything's bold, nothing's bold, right? And so God doesn't want our life to be that way. And he doesn't want it to be that way. God has designed this in our lives so we can recognize peaks and valleys. And we can learn in the valleys and enjoy the peaks. And, and, and in heaven, and dude, it's just going to be like that for eternity. So he says, thanks be to God who's always leading us. So I want you to understand that no matter what phase of life you're in, if you're a believer, God is leading you in that phase. If it says he's always leading us, is there ever a time when he's not leading us? No, he's always leading us. But look what he's leading us in, in triumph in Christ. And this word triumph um, is, is, is talking about a procession. And if you want to study something kind of cool, just Google it up and read what a Roman triumph was. And I'm going to give you a little bit about it, but it was, a, it was the highest honor that a Roman general could get. If he did something phenomenally spectacular, something awesome, the emperor would give him a triumphal procession. He would give him, and here's what the guy had to do. One, he had to actually go into another land that Rome didn't, you know, really have, and he had to conquer another land. He had to actually go into that land, and he had to take more than 5,000 prisoners. He had to literally win the battle and the conflict be over. He had to really accomplish all of that and bring all the goods back to Rome. And when he did that, if it was an impressive enough battle and victory, then he got a triumphal parade. And so what would happen is they would deck this guy out in the most gold, beautiful gold and silver and precious jewel-looking outfits. They'd put him in a golden chariot with white horses and have him riding. They would have priests around from their temples, and the priests would have incense. Now keep that in mind. And they would have all this beautiful incense that they would have burning. And, and anybody who you could smell the parade coming before you could see the parade coming because they had so much incense. People would be throwing flower petals down. And, and so as the, everything started stepping on the flower petals, what happened to the smell? It started getting permeating the air. And so it was really a lot about smell, this triumphal pro process was. And they would have the soldiers, the ones who helped him, would be behind him going, whoa, like a Wizard of Oz. Y'all remember what? Oh, you know, like the flying monkeys, holy, whoa. No, you know, they would, the soldiers would be like, yeah, we were there. Yeah, we helped them and all that. And they'd be following them in all of that. And then behind all of that would then be all of the people and animals and things that they had conquered. And so those were people that would not surrender because with Rome, a lot of times, if you just surrender to them, then you could be part of it. If you didn't, then you were conquered and you were killed later as slaves. You were made the slaves or you were killed. And so this whole process was going on. And what Paul is now saying is he's saying, my walk with Christ is like this triumphal parade. Now, let me ask you this. Who's the conqueror that conquered this magnificent new kingdom? Who is it? It's Christ. So Christ is the one in this chariot. And Christ is the one in all his glory. And, and here he is. And, and you can smell him coming before he even comes. And that's what he's going to equate to us and his favorite smell. And let me ask you this. Who are the soldiers behind him? Sure. Us. Yes, that's what Paul's encouragement was. He's actually looking to the end of the book of Revelation. How many of y'all read the last two chapters of Revelation? If you have not, you should. You ever get discouraged, read the last two chapters. It will tell you how it all ends, and it's guaranteed. And we win. Christ is going to be leading the procession. Christ 
has won. He's already conquered. And when his time is done, man, it's all settled. And Paul's now equating this to, to the fact that Christ has conquered the devil's kingdom as much as it doesn't look like it now. How many of y'all look at the world? You look at the news. You look at the paper. You look at your Facebook feeds, your Twitter feeds. You look at that stuff and you say, oh, who's in charge? You think the devil's in charge. The world's in charge. A bunch of idiots are in charge. How many of y'all question whether God's in charge sometimes when you read? But understand, it's all by God's design. It's all by design. He is still in charge. Nothing is surprising him. But when it's all said and done, we win. Christ is leading this triumphal procession. We, as his soldiers, are following. And Paul's looking forward to that day. He's looking forward to that day. He's saying, what I'm doing is not in vain. Right now, I'm just in the middle of battle, and I may be getting my face punched, and I may be getting knocked out. I may be down, and somebody's got a sword right at me, but I know I'm going to roll over, and I'm going to have more victories. Right now, it feels like I'm losing, but I know that I'm going to win. And so in this, he says, who always leads us in this triumphal procession, even though it hasn't happened yet. And through us, okay, check this, through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Hey, that's kind of a popular word now, diffusers. How many of y'all ladies have a diffuser? What's a diffuser? You know, I remember what a diffuser was when I was a kid. We lit an M80 in somebody's mailbox and somebody said, oh, here she come. We pulled the fuse. That was a diffuser, all right? But what's a diffuser now? Yeah. Oh, you put the oils and they might, oh, uh, yeah, you have that, dude. You walk in the furnace house, man. It is all diffused, man. And, uh, yeah, or they've got the ones with the sticks where sticks will gently put it out. You've got one on steroids, Fern. Yours is like, like a fire extinguisher coming out. I love it, though, man. I, I need one at my house. <laughs> all right, so, anyways, uh, so what he's saying is he said, through us, we diffuse. What does that mean, then? We diffuse. What does a diffuser do? It lets a smell out, right? So do you understand that we are always letting a smell out? <laughs> All right? And we always are letting a smell out. Sam, I see your little face. I, I miss you in smell group, by the way. You're like cynicism and you're, you'd have an awesome sense of humor. But <laughs> in this, I, we always let a smell out. So he says, through us, we let the smell out. And the fragrance we let out is what? Of his knowledge in every place. So as a believer, what's the smell that we let out? Christ, yes. Well, we teach people. We, we let out the knowledge of him in every place. So what that is, is that's us helping people see life from God's perspective. When we were lunch with that guy the other day, did he smell Jesus? Yeah. When, when, how many of y'all let somebody smell some Jesus this week? In your life, in your conversation, in your walk, in a situation. That's who we are, and that's what Paul's saying here is, man, I'm discouraged, but wait, we win. And just like that priest that's, that's, that's swinging the incense, and that incense can be smelled long before it's see, the results are seen, he said, that's us. We're supposed to be that incense, and we're supposed to be letting people smell Jesus all day long. Laura, you ever, did you let somebody smell Jesus this week? I have, you know, you did. She was at my house when I got home. I, I went to, a, I had to go to Fort Myers. Uh, There's this conference going on. We were getting ready for it. And I was there Friday night. I came, I drove all day Saturday, you know, coming home after meeting Saturday. And, and, and in fact, all the way down 60, uh, no, 70 across the state, 
I could not find one place that had gizzards. I was looking for gas station gizzards, and yes, I did probably pass Carter's, but by then I was already just discouraged. I was looking for some in the milk. I couldn't find any. I'm like, well, I, if I can't find gas station gizzards, I'm not eating. I want a hunger strike, at least till I get home. <laughs> and uh, so, so I got home, man, I was hungry. And Laura's like, hey, you want to go to Sonny's? I'm like, dude, <laughs> yeah. And, and as soon as we got in the parking lot, what was the first thing you said, Laura? Oh my goodness, the smell was so good because you could just smell the, the fat from the chicken and the ribs and the pork and beef all dripping in that fire and coming back up. It was diffusing a beautiful smell. And, and, but hey, let me ask you a question on that. What if that just chicken and pork and all that was out on a spit and it was just kind of sitting there between the tables at Sonny's and it wasn't the fire between it, it was just raw chicken sitting there. What, would that be a good smell? that it would be diffusing. What is necessary to pull out that good smell on that barbecue? Fire. Everybody say fire. Fire. Yeah. Man, how many of y'all like when your life's on fire? Man, When you got fire, you got problems, you're putting out fires. But dude, just like that barbecue, man, that fire brings out the smell. You'd rather have raw chicken or, or roasted chicken. You know what I'm saying, man? You'd rather have raw ribs or barbecued ribs. But in our own life, we're like, no, we'll just keep it raw, God. It's all good. But seriously, it takes fire to bring out the best, to bring out the smell. I told you all before, you squeeze an orange, you get what? Orange juice, man. If you don't get orange juice, it ain't an orange. If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. But you squeeze a Christian, you get Christ. We have to be squeezed for that smell to come out so that we can be diffused. And so when Paul is discouraged, saying, man, I'm getting beat down on every end. I can't win. They just tried to stole me and I escaped. And now I'm in a shipwreck. And now, God, look what I've done for you. But the more he got squeezed, the more the flavor of Christ could come out. Well, how many of y'all would like to just have a squeezeless world? Yes, that's what we pray for, isn't it? God, let me have a squeezeless world today. Let me have a, a fireless world. Let me have a good day. Is that our prayer? Dear Lord, let us have a good day. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, maybe we should start praying for some fire in our lives. Praying for some squeezing in our lives so people can start smelling Christ. It's going to come whether you pray for it or not. But when it comes, we've got to see it from that perspective. That's what encouraged Paul. He says, wait, wait, wait. I'm not going to let this discourage me. This is like that incense that's now on fire. And everybody can smell it. And he said, that's me. Dude, every time this stuff's going on in my life, people are smelling Jesus. So again, how many of y'all let people smell some Jesus this week? Amen. That's what we're supposed to do in this. So he goes on. And so as we help people see life from his perspective and we diffuse the fragrance of, fragrance of his knowledge by helping people see life from his perspective and do it in every place, man. Look what it says. For we are to God the fragrance of who? Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So he's talking about who it's a, who's smelling the fragrance, the people. There's going to be some people when you help them see life from God's perspective, there's going to be some that don't want to hear it. They'll humor you or they'll even fight you against it. But there's going to be some that need to hear it. There's going to be some that are grateful that you spoke up and you showed them what God smells like. You showed them. There's going to be people on both ends. But let me ask you a question. Regardless of those two people, who is always pleased by that smell? God. God's always pleased. You know? 
So anytime you do what God calls you to do, God is pleased. What is God's favorite smell? God's favorite smell is when you help people see life from his perspective. But to help them see life from his perspective, you've got to see it from his perspective. So he goes on and says, man, we're a fragrance. We are, are to God the fragrance of Christ. Does, what is God's favorite thing in the entire universe? Christ. What Christ did on the cross. When you go pray, when you want get to go to get into heaven, what, what are you covered by? What are you covered by? The blood of Christ, what Christ did on the cross. So no matter how bad you've been, how good you think you've been, no matter how rotten, how beautiful, how whatever, when God looks down on you, when you call up to him in prayer, what's the first thing he sees? The blood of Christ. If you're a believer, you're covered by that sacrifice, and that's the first thing he sees, no matter what. When you go to get stand before him to be judged, when you go to stand before him and you're dead, and whether you get into heaven or not, what's the first thing he sees? That sacrifice, the blood. So do you think God loves what Christ did? Man, go read Philippians. That's what he tells us. He says, man, this is my favorite thing. Because of what he did, I'm exalting him above everybody and everything else. And so in this, he says, when you do what you're supposed to do in this and help people see life from his perspective, look at the beginning of verse 15 again. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. And does he like that fragrance, Terry? He loves it, man. It's better than you like that. I, I tried to save you as much flavor, olfactory flavor as I could in that bag. And, and I don't know if you notice, I pointed at you and I don't, and You can offer me one. I did. Off, I, one of my six gizzards, I offered it to him. And what did you do? You just flat out rejected me, man. <laughs> he did not. Even. Now, my heart wasn't broken because there were only six, but I would have given it to you. I even offered you the biggest and best one, and it was the last one. But I could tell already by the look on your face as you were pointing your, you were trying to like, you ever watch a dog in a car, man? <laughs> you know, trying to get there. <laughs> That's what he was. He was scraping for that window, man. It was not having the same effect on him as me. <laughs> but, yeah. So, God loves what Christ did, and when we help people see life from God's perspective, that's God's favorite smell, regardless of whether people reject it or if they accept it. What do we want people to do? We want them to accept it. I don't want anybody to reject the gospel. I don't want anybody to reject what God's principles are. I'm not like, oh, yeah, now we're going to see him get with it. That would not be love. I, want, I don't want people to go through what I went through without Christ. I want them to succeed, but I know success is in following God's plan for your life. And so, man, I'm excited when they do, but I'm not going to take it personal when they don't because that's a decision they got to make between them and God. But I know that when I do what I'm supposed to do, that's God's favorite smell. That's the orange blossoms. That's the orange processing plant. That's the gas station gizzard. That's the skunk. <laughs> That's the tobacco hanging in a barn. That's, that's the surf wax on your surfboard. <laughs> Every one of you can identify. Sean, can you identify with that surf wax first thing in the morning? Yeah. Man. Emily, you love that too, huh? Yeah. We're like, dude, they should make this stuff edible. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it's like for God when he sees us helping someone else see life from his perspective. He's like, Oh, man, more. Bring it on with the gizzard bag. <sighs> and so, but I want you to see that people are going to re reject it and some are going to accept it. Look at verse 16. 
He says, to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. So check this out. In this procession, they're, they're swinging the incense. Behind them, they've got the soldiers who are getting nothing but accolades and, and, and uh, rewards for their victory. And the people behind them who've rejected being part of Rome, and they're going to have death. They rejected their salvation. And so he said, to one, it's just that smell is going to remind them of death. The other, it's going to remind them of life in all of that, and that's what's going to happen in this. But to God, it's always a sweet smell. And look what he goes on to say. He said, and who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be able to even offer God a good smell? Who is, I mean, can we do it in our flesh? Can we offer, anything we do in the flesh is, is in the book of Isaiah, he says, take your righteous deeds, just your very best things, and present them to God. And he said, they're like filthy rags. That's what he said. Your best deeds are like filthy rags. So anything we do in the flesh is not worth anything. But anything we do out of the love for God, because of what he's done for us and who we realize he is, anything we do out of love for him, man, it is a sweet fragrance to him. He said, so he said, who, Paul's saying, man, who's even sufficient? You know what Paul's really saying? Why am I discouraged? I have a home in heaven. This is not my home. Why am I discouraged about what's going on here? At some point, I'm going to heaven. That's my home. And I know that because he's made me sufficient. He gave me the privilege to represent him. How many of y'all consider it a privilege to represent him? But let me ask you a question. How many have you including me, have ever had an opportunity to represent them, but we sort of try to hide so we don't have to. Anybody ever done that? You've been scared? Yeah, that's what I've done. But Paul said, man, it's a privilege to represent him. Who's sufficient? Man, I'm not, but he picked me and he saved me. And while I'm here, he, he, and I can represent him. And what's the worst they can do? Kill me. And if they kill me, where am I going to go, Savannah? Yeah, dude. Anybody complain about going to being in heaven? No. Not if you love Christ, it's going to be awesome. So verse 17, he says, we are not as so, uh, as so many peddling the word. So he's saying, you know what? If you're just peddling the word, if you're out there preaching, trying to be popular, if you're out there, you know, just for an image, if you're doing it for any other reason than the right reason, which is to bring glory to God, he said, you're out peddling the word and you got your reward. Hopefully there'll be some for you there, but actually it's going to go against you in the end. He said, but we are as of sincerity. As from God. In other words, we're getting our mandate from God and we're doing this sincere. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. So here's what it is. The only way I can represent him, if I'm hearing, if I'm seeing life from his perspective, then I can help others see life from his perspective. I can't help people see life from God's perspective if I'm not seeing it that way. I'm going to jump right in their pity party with them. I love this word sincere. I've talked to you guys about it before. And it just simply means being who you appear to be. Back in the day, there were potters, all right? Where did potters get their clay from? Anybody? Where'd they get it from? They get it from the Clay-Doh store? No, I'm just like, where'd you yeah. get? <laughs> Any of y'all say Clay-Doh and not Play-Doh? Man, I don't know. That's just like messed up. But where'd they get the clay from? Yeah, uh, the, the place that they bought from uh, with Judas's money. It was a field that a potter used to own that was good for nothing but burying people who didn't have a place to be buried because the potter would buy a field and he could dig only so much clay out of that field to use. So clay was precious. When he ran out of holes to dig and ran out of clay to salvage from this field, he basically had to go buy another one. 
So he was very scrupulous, I mean, very, like, you know, stingy in trying to, you know, maximize all of his clay. And so if he made a vessel, and he made a perfect vessel, but what happens when you now take that vessel and put it in the fire to harden it? What could happen? It can crack, right? All right? You guys know what crack pots are, right? <laughs> How many of you are sitting next to one? No, I just don't even think. But you put that vessel in there, and it would crack. Who wants to buy a cracked pot? I mean, is that what you do? You go to Pottery Barn, and like, oh, I want the cracked ones. I mean, unless you're going to crack them some more, right? But a cracked one, you can't put water in. You can't put food in. You can't, you can't put a lot of things in it that they put in pots. And so what would happen is the guy would be stuck with a wasted pot. So an unscrupulous potter, what he would do is he would take it and he would fill that crack with wax. And then he would glaze it all up so that you couldn't tell. And if you just looked at it, you'd be like, oh, a beautiful pot. And then, and you get it home, and you're making some chicken noodle soup in it, and you pour it in there. What's going to happen to the wax? Yeah, it's going to melt, and that soup's going to Oh, melt. that soup. And how are you going to feel about that pot? That doggone potter. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being so dramatic. Yes, exactly. That's how you're going to feel. And, and she was being light about it. Some of y'all be a lot tougher, Terry. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. And, and so that pot, you'd be very disappointed in that pot if it wasn't what it appeared to be. So here's what happened. Sincere buyers, what they would do, well, what they would do is they would take a pot like that and they would literally hold it up to the sun. And the word sincere means without wax. And so they would hold it up to the light and they would carefully compare, look at it in the light because if the light shone through, then it would reveal the wax that's in the crack. And they would say, oh, this is not sincere. So the word sincere began to mean basically something that's held up to the light and it truly is what it appears to be. Man, wouldn't that be a great thing for all of us to be? To be held up to the light of God's word, to be held up to the light of who he is. And yes, we're not perfect, but we're held up. And when we do mess up, we're like, yes, I'm sorry. I messed up. I repent and I want to get it right. But wouldn't it be awesome? Because how many of you have ever been disappointed by a person? How many of you have ever been disappointed in yourself? Yeah, we all are, you know? But man, if we would strive to know the light and hold our lives up to the light continually, and when we find those errors, man, we, we correct them, and we become like a pot that's without wax. We become, we become sincere. We, we are who we appear to be in all of that. And that's what Paul says. We're not peddling the word. We're sincere. Hold us up to the light. No, we're not perfect. But you know what, man? As best I can, I am trying to represent Christ and share this with you. That is my motive in life, is to represent God and help you see life from God's perspective. And the only way I'm doing it is I'm getting it from God and I'm sharing it on with you. So let's go to the next verse, Emily. And so that's what Paul says. Paul wrote that in Corinthians later on in life. But as we are in Acts chapter 13, which I promise we're going to buzz through, that's the very beginning of Paul's ministry. So when did, he, when did he learn this that he wrote in 2 Corinthians? He started learning it right here. That some were going to accept the message of Christ and some were going to reject it. But what is God's favorite smell, Tom Knowles? Tom Knowles, what's God's favorite smell? Us. Your wife's When what? When we're doing what? That's it. When we're helping people see life from his perspective, that's God's favorite smell. And he's learning the lesson right here. So let's buzz through this pretty quick. You guys know that there were five or six guys they mentioned last week in, in um, the church that uh, uh, 
where they were starting the Gentile church, and they, but they took the two best guys out of there, not the best, but the two guys that really had started everything and had everything running, and they, the most unlikely guys to take, you would have thought they would have taken some others, but they took Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them off. So it says now being sent out by who? Who are they being sent out by? The Holy Spirit. That's what's important. Any of us, if we're sent out somewhere, we need to be sent out by the Holy Spirit. It says they went down to Seleucia, uh, Seleucia, and what basically where they were at in Antioch was about 16 miles from the coast. And when it says they went down, they went down this Orinoco River. They went down this river and came to the seaport there in Syria called Seleucia. And it doesn't say they did much, but I have a feeling they at least shared Christ with a few people. They got there, and it says from there they sailed to Cyprus. So they went to an island, one of the three largest islands in that area, and Cyprus happened to be where Barnabas had grown up. Not where he was living, but where he grew up. So he probably had some family there. Hey, I know some people in Cyprus. Let's go there and share the gospel. So they went to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, which is on the east coast, they preached the word of God in the synagogues. Because they said, well, let's start with the religious people. Let's start telling the Jews about Jesus. So they started preaching the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. They also had John, which is John Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, who was buds with Peter. We'll see him next week. They had John Mark as their assistant. So there's Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, and they're just going across this island and just telling people about Jesus. Next verse, Emily. Now, when they had gone through the entire island to Paphos, which was on the west coast of the island, they finally got all the way across the island. And, hey, how many of you all know that news travels faster than you? Okay, so by the time they got there, people had already heard about Paul and Silas and John Mark preaching the gospel. I wonder if people already heard about you preaching the gospel in your circle of friends, your neighborhood, your whatever. They're like, oh, yeah, they're Christians. Oh, yeah, they already know that. And I mean, whether it's in a good or a bad way, because you have been giving God his favorite smell. Anytime someone wants to know something, you help them see it from God's perspective. And so that's what's happened. They got to the West Coast. And so the most important man on the island wanted to know who they were. But he was all, they were also going to get in the way of someone that was important in that guy's life. So look what happened. It says they got to that west coast of Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer. And look what even Luke calls him, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus. This was a guy. Now, was this a, a righteous guy? By his name. By everything way Luke describes him. He's a shyster. He's basically a false prophet. He's taken a little bit of every kind of religion, and he's basically telling the most important guy on the island, hey, this is what God's perspective is. And it's the wrong perspective. So he, this guy on the island, check it out, verse 7, he was with the proconsul, who was the governor on that island, Sergius Paulus. He was an intelligent man. And so basically this guy Bar-Jesus was in his hip pocket and he was his pastor and he was telling him, hey, this, 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 and it was all the things he wanted to hear, whatever. But all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas and Mark, John Mark are coming across the island and the spirit of God is saying, dude, something real's happening here. I want to meet this guy. So the most important guy on the island had already heard about what was going on and wanted to meet him. Hey, in your circle of business, your circle of influence, how many of y'all know, like in your circle, your world, you know, whatever industry you're in, who's the most important person in that world? I know God is, but I'm just saying, who's the most important human? We used to, when I was a youth pastor in Orlando, 
and the Orlando magic, we used to call them the Orlando tragic till Shaquille O'Neal got on there. And we used to joke around. It's like, you know, you know, cause I had this guy, Jung Soo, who actually used to meet everybody. He could just meet celebrities on command, but he'd never share the gospel with them. <laughs> and we always talked about it. But what if, man, what if Shaquille O'Neal could have gotten saved? What kind of impact could he have had on his world? What if LeBron James, I don't know if he is or not, but I'm just saying, what if these famous, famous people, if God were to put you in the, with the most famous person in your circle of influence, would you have the guts? Would your life be about sharing the gospel with them and helping them see life from God's perspective? Or would it be modern-day idol worship and be like, dude, man, this guy has my job. Would you see it as God setting you up to be able to share the gospel with this person? Or would you see it as like, I better not mess up and lose my job. Paul and Barnabas, dude, they're all about sharing the gospel. And so here it is. They meet this guy, Sergius Paulus, and, and they had heard about him. He was an intelligent man, and he called for Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear what? The word of God. He didn't want to hear anything else, but he wanted to hear the word of God. Was he not hearing it from this Bar-Jesus dude? Well, he thought he was until he basically had been hearing what was happening with these guys. You know, he saw people's lives being changed all across his whole island. And he's like, dude, I need a piece of that. And so look at verse 8. He says, but Elimus, now the sorcerer. So when Luke, Luke doesn't even want to call him son of Jesus. Luke's like Elimus, and that literally translates out as being shyster, you know, being, being a false prophet, being just, you know. So Luke is holding no punches here, man. He's like, yeah, so this chyster, I'll name him that now, uh, for him, and he said, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the thing. So what's happening is they, the, the, the governor's asking to see Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, and, and um, so he's seeking to see him, but this guy Bar-Jesus is getting in the way, saying, no, 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 he doesn't want to see you. No, 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 you can't go see him. No, no, he can't. Why was Bar-Jesus being that way? Yeah, dude, he was making money and had power, and somebody was fixing to get in the way of it, and the gospel will do that. Will the gospel change the way you spend your money? Will the gospel, what, what will the gospel, when you give your life to Christ, what area of your life is now dictated by him? And if somebody's got a piece of it, there will be opposition. And every time you start walking for Christ, you're going to see opposition. You will. But don't stop. Realize, read the last two chapters in Revelation and realize we win. We're on the winning side. And so in this, Bar-Jesus is like, no, no, man, you can't uh, be up near and go back one more. Uh, go back to the previous one. Oh, you just did? Okay. Um, so he, he stopped them. And look at that, seeking to turn the pro-council, uh, the governor, away from faith in Christ. Okay, now you go there. Sorry, I just had to make sure where I was at. Verse 9. Then Saul, who is called Paul. Now, let me just straighten this out right here because we've heard all kinds. Of, how many of y'all heard that God changed his name from, from Saul to Paul because now he's a servant of God? I, I know I heard that before, but bottom line is, dude, when you live in a multicultural world, you have a few names, all right? You know, your name's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Joshua, you know? It's like, you know, he lived in a, in a world that was Jewish, a world that was Greek, and so a lot of the kids were, had two different names. He was named Saul, and he was named Saul after uh, the first king of Israel. But he was named Paul because so when he's, he's getting called by his mom, his mom's like, Saul, come on in, street lights on, you know, and he's calling him in. 
But when he's with his friends, his friends are all Greek, and they're like, Paul, 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 Paul. So he really grew up with two names the whole way. And since he's going to be ministering to the Gentiles, basically Luke's just going to call him Paul all the rest of the way through it. Now, yes, you could write some implications that Paul was mighty, he was a king, and when he gave his life to, or Saul was that, and when he gave his life to Christ, he became Paul, which means little. He, and he did. He became smaller so Christ could become bigger in that. But in reality, he had been called Saul and Paul his whole life. And at this point, Luke decides to flip the switch and start calling him Paul in his Greek name in all of that. So then Saul, who's called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently with him. All right, so check this out. First of all, where's he getting the authority to say what he's fixing to say? God. From the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, all those things, right? So would you ever expect anything kind of rough coming out of your mouth if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> well, you just wait and see <laughs> in all of this. Because you know what love? We've misdefined. We've, we've defined what love is. What, how would you define love? It's like, oh, you know, you got butterflies and, you know, I, me chicken gizzards, all right? <laughs> but love. But love is not giving people what they want. Love is giving them what they need. And God gets to determine what that is. Hey, with Maddie, you ever have to give her tough love? Yeah, she's your kid, right? That's with me. Scariest thing about having kids is they're going to be just like you. Right. Scariest thing about being a kid, kid, hey, you know what's the scariest thing about being a kid? You're going to be just like your parents. <laughs> you have no choice. You're going to be just, yes, you are. I know, you all say that. You all say that. But one day, you're going to wake up and you're like, oh, my parent. Right, Terry? It's going to happen. Just look at your dad, man. You two are almost two peas in a pot. Can't you wait for Nana? No, I'm just saying. Your dad's an awesome guy. But we do. We become our parents and all that. But I don't even know where that all was coming from here. <laughs> oh, love's giving them what they need, not what they want. All right. So anyways, um, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, he looks at this bar Jesus dude. And it's almost like he just grabs him by the collar and he looks at him. And look what he says. And I, I really need, after I read it, somebody who can read it with some dramatic emphasis. I'm going to try. Oh, you full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. <laughs> you see it? It says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord? I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you full of, the, you know, yeah, somebody read it. Who can read this with some, Anne, read That's it. Right. Yeah, Anne, you go for it, man. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you are son of the devil. Ooh, I like You <laughs> enemy of all righteousness, and you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And that, that's good. Yes. <laughs> and now that's coming from the Holy Spirit. Do you understand you're either with God or against them? There's nothing in between in all of this, but we've got this mamby-pamby religion where we think we can have one foot in God and one in the world, and, and, we'll, and when we get to meet God, God's going to say, well done, way to play that with such great strategy. Somehow that's what the world sucked us into, man. But it's all in for Christ. And so he looks at him and says, man, you shyster, you son of the devil, will you not cease perverting the straightway Lord? And then he goes on, next verse, and he goes on and he says, he said, oh, you think you have the hand of the Lord on you? You've been telling everybody the hand of the Lord's on you. He said, now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. And the guy's like, yeah, boom, you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Now, we don't know how long it is. It could be even a, a minute. It could be for a day. It could be for the rest of the We don't know. 
But God saw that it would prove the legitimacy of Paul's message to do this. And so, bottom line, you think Paul went back to finding, remembering when he was blinded? <laughs> and what do you think Paul's intention? Do you think he wanted to see Bargesus die and go to hell? No, he wanted to see him come to Jesus Christ. Somebody hits me in the head and says, boom, you're blind because of Jesus. What are you going to do? Dude, I'm going to believe him unless my heart is hard. And even something like that's going to keep them away from Christ. And so in this, he's blind now, Bar-Jesus, and immediately a dark mist fell on him. He went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then look what happens, the proconsul believed. We don't ever know what happened to Bar-Jesus. Man, I hope one day I'm in heaven and, I, you know, we're like, oh, hey, Bart, hey, hey, Brian, hey, John, hey, Bar-Jesus, dude, yes! <laughs> I, I hope he's in heaven. But I don't know, we don't hear about that. But we do know about the proconsul, what the proconsul, the governor, what? Yeah. When he saw what had been done, okay, so that's what legitimized that message. So what legitimizes the message today? When you share the gospel, what makes it legitimate? The truth. Uh, okay, that, we, we, that it's in the word, all right, yeah. that it's the truth. But, yeah, they got to see it working in our life. If you're trying to tell them, sell them on something that you're not, you haven't bought, you're trying to do something, you're trying to, you're trying to convince them of something that you're not even following, you know, that's what legitimate. Now, whether we do it or not, it's still the truth, and that legitimizes it ultimately because God said it. But, dude, the miracle is, that's what one guy asked me. He's like, man, how, could, how do you know you're saved? You know, I'll never forget uh, my first pastorate, I had a bunch of deacons in front of me going, you can't preach, you can't blah, blah, you know, just ripping me apart. And I had just been studying about the peace of God passing all understanding. And, and they're yelling at me because that's just the way it, the little country church like that was, man, and they, all this junk. And, and they're like, and I just started smiling because I was asking, God, why should I be grateful for this? And all of a sudden, a smile came across my face. And they said, what are you smiling for? And I said, because three years ago, I wasn't saved, and I had to grab that baseball bat and knocked all y'all out. <laughs> and I said, but I got the love of Jesus, so you just keep going, and it doesn't matter. He changes your life, man. That's what legitimizes the message. Man, that's what, that's what they see. What makes it legitimate for us is we know it came from God. I'm almost done here, I promise. And so in this, it says, immediately darkness fell. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, but read this next part, being astonished. What was he astonished with? The dude becoming blind? That kind of got his attention, but what was he astonished with? Read that with me, being astonished. Yeah. He saw now the message was legitimate, but it was the word of God. As Paul started teaching him, look, Christ lived a perfect life. He is the Messiah you've been looking for. And he died on a cross, a sinless man. And he was buried. And he, in his own power, raised himself up. And God the Father said, if you put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross, your sins could be paid for forever. And you will have a home in heaven. It was the word of God. It was the teaching of the Lord that gave his heart the ability to believe what was being taught. That astonished him. And the man got saved. So one person rejected it, one person accepted it. But if both of them would have accepted it, what would it have smelt like to God from Paul? Like a scum? 
Like gizzards? Like surf wax? Like, what was yours again? Paper mill? Paper mill? <laughs> yeah. It would have been all of that. So you see, God is not real, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't smell good to God if it turns out the way you think it should. It smells good to God if you just do what he said to do. But you're going to see some awesome things when you do what God says to do. So here's how Paul kept himself from being discouraged and re-encouraged himself by realizing that him doing what God wanted to do, him helping people see life from God's perspective was a sweet smell to God. Have you ever done something for somebody and they didn't appreciate it? And you're ever like, oh, you know? Well, let me ask you a question. If you do something for God, does he appreciate it? Hey, Susie, does he ever miss it? Did he ever like, oh, you did that, and that just slipped right by me, you know? Man, yeah, God catches all of it. And it's all going to be paid back someday in rewards that we give back to him. So if you do it for him, the motivation is to glorify him, and you do it because you want to offer God a sweet smell. So today, when somebody's all up in your junk, man, somebody's pushing those buttons, and you love them, maybe not quite the same way that guy did. You son of the devil! <laughs> and claim being full of the Holy Spirit. Only say that if you're full of the Holy Spirit. But, but you're loving them. You're acting the right way, man. Just remember that you are lifting up a sweet smell to God. So whatever your sweet smell is, you obeying God. You helping people see it from God's perspective is even sweeter than that to him. So let's bow for prayer. Father, um, I just pray that we would uh, think about what our, our sweet smells are that we love so much. And, and Father, how those smells bring us back. That baby doll plastic, whatever it is, we, we smell that and it brings back great memories. And help us to remember it does the same thing for you, Father, that when we act like Christ, when we help people see life from your perspective, that it brings back great memories as to what Christ did in full submission and full obedience so that we could be with you forever. Help us, Father, to, to, to be able to offer that smell up to you. Before our emotions take over, before... Every, anything else takes over and we do something stupid, we do something wrong, help us to just remember to offer up a good smell to you by helping others see it from your perspective. But Father, we know we can't do that unless we see it from your perspective. Father, if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ, they're not sure they're going to heaven when they die, um, give them the desire that they can't refuse to just surrender their life to Christ. And just trust what they do know and surrender all they know about themselves to all they know about you and give them eternal life. And then you'll give them the Holy Spirit to live inside them and just give them the faith to just follow you, Father. And as best they can, just continually offer up those sweet smells to you. So, Father, um, we just want to offer up a sweet smell to you. Give us opportunities today to see life from your perspective and to help others see it that way. And I pray for these things in Jesus.